The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we gather for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest preacher, Dr. Jessica Chica. Jessica serves as chaplain for international students. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God.
mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. we confess our sins, God, who is faithful, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, 
sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the world of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends, please join me in saying together responsively verses from Psalm 25 with the Antiphon. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his commandment and his decrees. Dear friends, let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be back here with all of you at Marsh Chapel. I've been gone for about a month. And summer is here, finally, and I am so glad, even though it's so hot in this chancel right now. Uh, For me, summer means 
a slower pace, a time to relax and recharge. And at a place like Bayou, uh, the school year can be hectic. So by the time June and July hit, it's wonderful to have a moment to catch our breath, take stock of the previous academic year, and prepare for what next academic year will offer. Summer is also a time for travel and new experiences. Some of us are fortunate to have the means to take vacations from our regular lives and see new places, or at least take a break from our places of work for a little while. But travel brings its own set of challenges. Air travel requires you to be at the airport hours before your departure. You have to remember to take all of your liquids out of your carry-on bag before going through screening. And then there's the lines after lines after lines of people who are all anxious to get their travel started in the most expedient way possible. This week I read an article that confirmed what many of us already observe. Air travel affects us emotionally and physically. Cabin pressures can cause some strange changes like affecting our sense of taste, leading more people to crave or enjoy tomato juice on planes than they do on the ground. The pressure inside cabins can also affect our mood. We can become more anxious, less friendly, and experience more tension because of decreased oxygen levels. Add on to that the stress of traveling to new places, individual fears and anxieties around travel, the cost of travel and or vacations, and in some cases, the broken forms of transportation and communication that can lead to frustration or all-out despair when it comes to getting to where we need to go. It's no wonder so many people are dread the getting there part of traveling. For two weeks last month, I was lucky enough to travel to Germany. While I had wonderful experiences during my time in Germany, including getting to meet new people and experience the culture, culture of my heritage and learning new and interesting facts about Martin Luther's life and times, it was during the not so great experiences that I came to appreciate the kindness and compassion of others. Here's what happened. I missed my train. Not because I was late, not because I read the schedule wrong, not because I didn't get a ticket. No, I missed my train because it came early. An hour early. Now I know what you're saying to yourself, how can that be possible? And that's a good question. And apparently because in Germany, when there is construction, the trains come early. This is what I learned. <laughs> After missing my train, the rest of my day was spent relying on the kindness of strangers. The woman at the information desk in the Wittenberg train station tried her best to explain to me in a mixture of German and English that even though I missed my train because it came early, I could get on the next train, but that I wouldn't have an assigned seat. Not understanding that I could still ride the train without a seat, I panicked thinking that I would be spending another unplanned night in Wittenberg. The woman at the desk was trying to, so hard to help me, she even went as far to type into Google Translate for me, but the translate was incomplete and I still didn't understand what was going on. Uh, fortunately, the woman was willing to speak on the phone with my German friend who was in Munich, who I was going to see, and he was able to clarify that I could still get on the train even if I didn't have a seat assigned. Once on the train, I realized that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had a huge bag and I struggled to get it on the train. Fortunately, a man standing near the door grabbed one end and helped me thrust it up. I also thought, 
finding a space would be easy, and I was wrong about that too. The space in between the main cars that I entered was already occupied by people who were sitting, standing, and generally looking uncomfortable as the train sped along. I stood awkwardly just inside the doorway trying to decide what the best course of action might be. A man across the way caught my eye and smiled, so I made my way over to him. He started speaking to me in German, commenting on how full the train was, and I then explained that I had already missed my train earlier, and that I wasn't looking forward to standing for the rest of my four-hour train ride to Munich, especially since I was still tending to a sprained ankle. Without a hesitation, he immediately sprung to action and grabbed a porter, explaining to her that I needed to find a seat because I was injured. She replied that there was room in the dining car and instructed me that it was three cars from where we were. The man directed me where I needed to go and wished me luck with the rest of my trip as I set off lugging my bag to the dining car. Thinking I was all set after finding a place to settle in, we stopped in Leipzig to let passengers off the train. An announcement came over the PA system, and it wasn't a regular announcement that was translated into English like the other announcements had been. This one was only in German. And a chorus of groans erupted around me as people began to look annoyed. I sat for a few minutes thinking of who I could ask for assistance, as I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Seated across from me were two German women who had been in conversation since I got on the train. I tentatively asked them if they spoke English, and they said, oh yes, and then proceeded to explain to me that our train would be delayed an hour and 50 minutes because of a fire near the tracks that we were supposed to be taking. They welcomed me to traveling on the Deutsche Bahn, which they said was always an adventure. <laughs> an adventure indeed. They continued to update me as we sat waiting for more announcements, ending with at least some good news that the conductors had found an alternative route that would only make us a half an hour late to Munich. I made it to Munich five hours later than I was originally scheduled, and I was never so glad for a travel day to end. Now I tell you this story not because I'm seeking your pity, but to highlight the care that I received from others. Granted, this wasn't a life and death situation like that of the Good Samaritan story we heard in the Gospel today, but my day would have been a lot worse had it not been for the kindness of strangers who were willing to help me out when I needed it. I also needed to be willing to accept the help of those involved in order for the story to end well. Being receptive to help can sometimes be half the battle. We're all familiar with the age-old trope of the stubborn person who refuses to ask for directions when they are very clearly lost. How many times in our lives are we too stubborn or unwilling to let others help us? Why do we find it so difficult to accept help or to seek it out? Getting help from others doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we're incapable. It doesn't mean that we're less than. It means that we're human. We're all in this crazy one and two short life here on Earth together. And being willing to accept help in whatever form it may take, a listening ear, a ride, or physical assistance, requires a bit of humility on our part, as well as openness. Sometimes when we reflect on the story of the Good Samaritan, we are drawn to the position of the Samaritan in the story. After all, Jesus uses this as an example to demonstrate to the lawyer questioning him what love of neighbor really entails, seeing the humanity in all who need help, regardless of who they are. 
Another interpretation of this story by early commentators exists, however, in which humanity is not represented by the Good Samaritan, but rather Christ fills that role. Humanity is the man in the ditch. This depiction emphasizes the salvific quality of Christ. Christ is the unexpected healer and savior who, of all who helps us out of the ditch. The inn and the innkeeper are then the church, which cares for and supports us as we recover from our injuries, which in this case would be the injuries to our soul, the sin that has taken a hold of us. By holding these two interpretations in tension with one another, we can understand our role as needing to both accept the love of God as well as express that love to others by showing compassion to those we meet along the way. We must be able to see ourselves as both the person in the ditch and the Good Samaritan, as compassion is built on empathy. In his, theolo in his theology of justification by faith, Martin Luther emphasized a dualistic understanding of God's righteousness, that God provides an outside righteousness to all Christians, something that they do not have to do anything to earn. Luther calls this alien righteousness. Recognition of the external righteousness granted to us becomes more apparent as we acknowledge the presence of God in our lives. Our faith in God reinforces our knowledge and acceptance of this alien righteousness that we have no control over, but of which we can be made aware and incorporate into our understanding of the world around us. When we do things like come together in worship, read or hear the scriptures, or connect with others in community, we are reminded of the grace offered to us by God through Christ. The other form of righteousness Luther describes is proper righteousness. These are the expressions of Christian love that people share with one another. Luther is quick to point out that this proper righteousness relies on the presence of alien righteousness in order to be effective. God's love and care for us allows us to express the same love and care to others. It is in this way that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is spoken of in the epistle to the Colossians that we heard today. You note that in this letter by Paul, or someone who writes like Paul, that he also emphasizes to the community in Colossae that there is, it is the hope in God that they have found through hearing the gospel that will cause them to bear the, good, the fruit of good works in the world. Our ability to be in service to others is informed by our ability to accept God's love in the first place. Luther describes the relationship between these forms of righteousness through the, through the metaphor of a tree and the kind of fruit it bears in his treatise on the freedom of a Christian. He says, it is clear that the fruits do not bear the tree and that the tree does not grow on the fruits. Also that on the contrary, the trees bear the fruits and the fruits grow on the trees. As it is necessary, therefore, that the trees exist before their fruits, and the fruits do not make the trees either good or bad, but rather, as the trees are, so, the fruits are, they, so are the fruits that they bear. So a man must first be good or wicked before he does a good or wicked work, and his works do not make him good or wicked, but he himself makes his works either good or wicked. A tree must have good nutrition, proper sunlight, proper minerals in order to flourish and produce good fruit. A tree that does not have these foundational elements will not produce good fruit, if any fruit at all. The person then must be grounded in the faith and knowledge of God's grace in order to produce the good fruits of good works in the world. To express 
to expect the fruit to be good without the rootedness in the soil of the grace of God is to not understand the ways in which God's grace is given freely to all. We all know that living in community is a challenge. We are each individuals with our own hopes and needs and desires and motives. Sometimes those hopes and needs align with those of our neighbors, and that makes our community an easy place to live in because we all agree on seeking out an existence that has a similar worldview. But more than likely, however, our perspectives clash with others, leading to disagreement and in some cases, a distrust or even a disdain of our neighbor. Sometimes those we think we can trust turn out to not, not be trustworthy at all, causing us harm instead of love and care. The question of who is my neighbor still haunts us today. We all fail to see our neighbors for who they are, other human beings who need the care and compassion we also need to survive and thrive in our lives. We may allow things like economic differences, differences in skin, or skin color or nationality, or differences in gender shape who we view as our neighbors. Jesus reminds, reminds us that those things cannot matter if we are truly seeking to love our neighbor in the way that God commands. We must be willing to both accept the compassion of others as well as express that compassion if we are to join together in community. Recently, it seems as though much of the public discourse in our communities lacks an emphasis on morality. In an effort to seem balanced, people draw false equivalencies over issues in our countries, country, failing to acknowledge how certain actions are morally wrong. For example, caging children in detention centers without adequate sanitation and care dehumanizes them and demonstrates a definite problem with the moral compass of our country. If we cannot have compassion for others based on the fact that they too are human, they too are God's children, they too deserve to be taken care of, then we fail to bear good fruit. If we continue to allow for the degradation of our earth at the expense of those who are most vulnerable, then we fail to bear good fruit. If we become accustomed to mass shootings and the countless lives lost to gun violence in our country without an adequate response of horror and action, then we fail to bear good fruit. I implore you to remember where your roots lie so that you may come to bear good fruit. Your roots lie in the love of God that surpasses all understanding whose grace is bestowed on us as a free gift that we can choose to employ or not. Let us accept that gift of love and, let, and live out our commandment to share that love with others. We are called to be servants and to love our neighbor. Our neighbors are individuals who we encounter every day, but also those who we may never meet and may only ever understand as an abstracted idea. Our service to others includes seeking justice and righteousness for all, no matter who they are. At the end of each worship service, we typically end with a benediction and a response. The benediction offers a blessing to the community gathered, and the response a reminder of that which we are to take with us as we worship. Here we typically use God be in my head uh, as our response. 
But in my tradition, the service typically ends with the leader dismissing the congregation with the words, go in peace, serve the Lord. And the congregation responds, thanks be to God. So to prepare you for the end of this service, I'm going to state the benediction and also give this dismissal. So I want you to practice with me right now. (laughs) Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Got it. And as you hear and respond to these words, take to heart that the, what the words mean in light of bearing fruit in the world. Having been nourished by the words, music, and community of this service today, take them with you to serve and love your neighbor. Amen.
be seated. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he advised, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let us heed his advice and pray. You are welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together, lead me, Lord. of heaven, God of earth, joyfully we give you thanks and praise, for through your perfect love you have rescued us from darkness and enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We adore you and strive to live a life worthy of your love, but we confess that we fall short. And so in the midst of overwhelming indifference and cruelty, hate-filled speech and violence in the world today, we ask you to deliver us from evil. Search our hearts and minds, God, and make us self-aware of our own sinful nature and let it not rule over us. We offer ourselves to you. Help us to know your ways, teach us your paths, and lead us in your truth. Grant us forgiveness and help us to forgive others. We ask for discernment to recognize the evil around us. Give us the voice to speak out and the courage and will to take action against it. Help us to bear fruit, serving and loving others. God of compassion and all comfort, we are all in need of prayer. We pray for our brothers and sisters on the West Coast with broken or lost homes and rattled nerves from earthquakes. We ask for your peace to calm their fears and soothe their troubled hearts. We pray for your children in Louisiana and beyond as they endure floods and power outages from Barry and its aftermath. We pray that your peace calms their nerves and soothes their troubled hearts. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are targeted because of who they are and from whence they came. Grant them your peace and calm their fears soothe their troubled hearts. Heal us, merciful God. We pray for peace, the peace of your presence for the sick, the grief-stricken, and all who feel helpless as their loved ones struggle with mental illness, 
drug addiction, dementia, fatal illnesses, or the aftermath of violence. Help them to realize that they aren't helpless. You are their refuge and strength. God, our mighty fortress, in the midst of our anxieties, we know that you are near. We present our requests, God, confident that your peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of your beloved Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness and the forgiveness of sin. Amen. And now we pray together the prayer from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this warm, warm summer morning. <laughs> Thank you for joining us as part of our community of worship today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, live stream, on the internet, or later via our podcast please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and you get to know one another better. Marsh Chapel will be hosting Vacation Bible School on Sunday, July 28th, immediately following the service. It will be a time of lessons, crafting, and fun for kids of all ages. Please see the Marsh Chapel website for more information or contact Mahalia Dam at mdamm at 
bu.edu. If interested, we ask that you please register your children by next Sunday, July 21st. Marsh Chapel continues to solicit information for the next edition of our photo directory. Please see Moni or Tom following worship to ensure your inclusion in the directory. After service, please join us in front on the plaza for refreshments. We will continue our summer preaching series on the theme Faith and Community next week with our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Jen Quigley. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. How does God's love abide in anyone who has this world's goods, sees a brother or sister in need, and yet refuses to help?
for the life before us, for the peace within us, for the love that surrounds us, we give you thanks, O God. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray, to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Lord bless and keep you. The Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs>